Laurel, thank you very much. Um, very refreshing worship this morning. Um, so we're, um, JJ, can you go ahead and bring the house lights up almost all the way, buddy? Thank you very much. And I, w- I wanted to say thanks again to uh, Daniel and JJ. This is their second week back there in the booth um, working on things. They've done a, g- a great job both weeks. Uh, Michael uh, Campbell, thanks for jumping in and being here early today to train and uh, covering things. And um, just just good to, to uh, have you back there as well, kind of overseeing those young guys. Um, again, if you have a desire to work in AV, it's very simple. We'll train you, and we, we need people back there. Um, this morning, we're going to be continuing our Sabbath series, and uh, I'm excited about this message. It's going to be um, a little bit different than the last couple weeks because it's going to be um, directed at one specific aspect of the, the matter of Sabbath, and that is this. Why do we worship um, and celebrate Sabbath rest on now what is considered the, the first day of the week, not Sabbath, okay? Um, because that's a, that would be a very valid question. I mentioned last week that I would answer this. Um, Katie, can I share what you asked about this week? One of the things that, that Katie was a- asking about last week um, as we were reflecting on the message, um, she said, why have you not addressed like what Sabbath consists of, like what Sabbath rest is? Because when she was growing up, and many of you might be like her or, or myself, you may remember certain things like blue laws. How many of you all remember those? Um, where there were limits on what could happen in this, even the, the business and secular world about things. Um, because the, the church had such an influence that People thought that you, you had to rest, okay, literally rest. So things were not open, uh, business, places of business weren't open. I remember going um, home after church and having to wait till a certain hour for the convenience store to open up so we could get a, a jug of milk because we, with three boys in the house, we consumed milk really quickly. And so we, we'd run out frequently, and, and that would be one of the things I just grew up remembering. Um, we're not going to get into all that stuff, but I would, I would just say this real quickly about what, what a Sabbath rest really entail for us? I, I don't think, and, and I hope you get this uh, about last week, especially or from last week, I mentioned the issue of legalism. Legalism is that idea where we take things that are right and good, but we elevate them to a status that that is what makes us right or good before the law. And then ultimately, we, we tend to do that because we want to maybe justify ourselves and often criticize others for what they're missing. Um, and, and so I think there's aspects about the, the approach to the Sabbath rest that we can even make legalistic, about those kind of things about um, businesses opening and what we should and shouldn't be doing. Um, I would remind you, what did Jesus do on the Sabbath? I, I know that's rhetorical, but what did he do? Y'all can answer. Kathy? He healed people. What what else was allowed on the Sabbath? Worship. So so the priests were also mediating aspects of worship, and that would have been considered technically work. Were they breaking the Sabbath? No, no, because there's elements that we still have to do certain things on the Sabbath. So so the Jews tended, especially the Pharisaical Jews, they tended to add a, a, these legalistic laws and, and guidelines that impose these factors. And I think we've adopted some of those attitudes about what Sabbath is. What, if, if we look at last week's message, and this will bring us really into to, to this week again, just as a way of reminder, 
The Sabbath was originally, the Sabbath day was originally created as what? You remember there's a key word that I used, kind of a, a phrase, as a sign of the covenant, okay? It's about, which when we talk about a sign of the covenant, that is really about what? Relationship. It's about our relationship with the Lord. So when we come together and we think about the importance of Sabbath rest, what we ought to be doing is celebrating with one another the provisions that God has made for our salvation so that we recognize our greatest rest is found in His work, not our own. And so the, the, the point of Sabbath rest, and I think the point of what Paul is getting at even in Romans 14, is this, that, that ultimately our focus ought to be about our relationship with the Lord. That's why we need to stop. And Laurel mentioned this this morning in worship, but it's hard for us to be still in our day and age, isn't it? Because we're such busy people. And Sabbath rest is not just about the fact of saying, oh, let me stop from everything. But the point is that we would stop to do what? Be with the Lord. That's where Sabbath rest really comes into play. That's what Sabbath is designed for, that we would recognize our relationship with the Lord. And why do we do that as a, a culture together called the local church? Because when we do that together, it, it provides us an encouragement about who we are in the Lord. Um, Greg, were you not like encouraged just hearing Laurel's testimony a little bit this morning, just to find out about someone new in the Lord and how things are, how the Lord's impacted them? great time of fellowship. And, and that's what we ought to be doing as we're, we're gathering together, is talking about and celebrating the goodness of God. So if you remember, part of what, um, I made this statement last week, and I'll just remind you of it. Um, and part of the, the point of Sabbath is this, that we would understand the supremacy of God and the importance of His presence. And, and then I, I went further and said this, I propose that our ultimate joy Okay, now you think about this. The ultimate joy that we have in our lives is found when we rest in the presence of God, our Creator, who is sovereign and majestic. And it's enhanced when we proclaim His glory together. So, so Sabbath really is designed for us to come together to experience the glory of God, His majesty, and to encourage one another in that. And ultimately, it's remembering that all of our efforts have to be laid aside because any of our efforts towards salvation or, or our, our own, uh, making our own righteousness uh, come forth, it, it's, it's faulty. All of our efforts are actually worthless because the Scriptures tell us that all of our righteousness is as what? Filthy rags. And, and so... It's a, a point where Sabbath draws us and calls us to lay aside any of our own efforts and to, to be, depend upon Christ. So this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to look and go, okay, if, if that's what Sabbath is really about, is us coming together relationally to experience freedom in the Lord, to experience His presence and to understand how we have been provided for, why does that day change historically? Why are we no longer practicing a Sabbath rest on the Jewish day, uh, 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 seventh day of the week, which would be Saturday. Why do we come together and do this 
together on Sunday? Are we, is it legitimate for us to do this? Is it legitimate for us to think about Sabbath rest happening on a Sunday, first day of the week? Okay, so I, I want us to, to begin because I think the, the real question begins is how much of the Jewish tradition and or law still has an impact on the new church, the, the new covenant church? Does, does that question make sense? See, we, we, we're, we, we need to think through like a little bit of the early church history. How much of what happened in Judaism still transcends and still it has to be equated with what the new Testament church was experiencing. So I think what we need to do is begin with Paul's perspective. Because Paul, being a uh, very good Jew, one who understand, understood the Old Testament well, one who also came to Christ, uh, he, he presents this picture uh, of, what, of how that church transitioned and, and how the law and the new church relate. So let's turn to Galatians chapter 3 and unpack a couple things here. Give you just a second to get there. So Galatians chapter 3. I'm giving you a little context. The, the Galatian church was a Gentile church um, that was being impacted by Judaizers. The, those Jews who were in their midst, they were coming in and saying, you've got to practice these things. Early in chapter 2, we, we know that Paul had actually confronted Peter about Peter's... Um, well, his weakness in going back and practicing things like the, the Jews did, where Peter had already been confronted by the Lord, uh, as we know in Acts, to, to, to be free to eat certain foods, that he didn't have to go and practice all these things, but he drifted back into his Jewish habits. And Paul confronted him about those things and said, you're being a hypocrite. And so Paul then in chapter 3 begins to explain why the law is not... Uh, uh, ha having this strangled hold on the new church any longer. So that's what we're going to pick up and read. So let's, let's begin looking in Galatians 3, verses 1 through 13, okay? He says, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? So, so you, you've entered in this struggle and you're, you're getting confused is what he's getting at, okay? He says, it was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Key question that Paul's asking. He, he does this consistently in this book. He's, he's saying, what's the issue? How are you justified? Is it by keeping the law, which would the Judaizers would be saying, you have to keep the law, or is it by faith? And, and the Spirit has done a work. So I, I, he's going to answer that question. Look at verse uh, 3. He says, are you so foolish? Rhetorical question. He says, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? So now he's saying the Spirit and faith align, flesh and the law align. And so he's saying you, you weren't perfected by holding your flesh up, by upholding the law. Verse 4, did you suffer so many things in vain? If indeed it was in vain, does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now then, that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. So, so he's going through and he's saying, look, faith is the clear issue. Faith is the, the thing that makes us stand in righteousness before God. And it's not about our own faith. It's about the object of our faith that the Spirit is working in us. Now look, let's continue to look in verse 8. He says, and the Scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles... By faith, 
preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Now, verse 10. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Boom. That is a very direct statement where Paul says, if we think it's about us upholding the law, then we are going to fail miserably. Because the, the conclusion is, verse 10, curses everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law. Who, who is able to uphold all things in the law? That, that's what he's getting at. And the answer is, no one. No one can uphold all things according to the law. Therefore, where does everyone stand in relationship with God as far as are they justified or are they condemned because of the law? The conclusion is that all of us are cursed because we can't. We're condemned because we cannot uphold the law. So now he makes this final couple of statements in conclusion. He says in verse 11, Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law. For the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So, let's think about this for just a minute. And this, this is, gets really, I think, vital for our, our faith. Because when we think about the importance of, of what Christ has done, ultimately, where did Christ stand in our stead and in, in, uh, what was the, the verdict about him being in that stead, in that place for us? Well, Paul says it, he was hung upon a tree. And what is the verdict about Christ from that position? He's cursed, right? Now, hang on for just a second. Because that presents a big predicament. If Christ was condemned for our sin, cursed because he hung upon the tree, why would we celebrate him? Why would we consider him to be the Savior? That's a key question, right? Debbie, what are you saying? Yes, so, so he did it for us, but also because... The story doesn't end there, does it? Right? We all know this. What, what's the next step in the account? Jesus was resurrected, that, that he rose from the dead, and the curse no longer bears any more consequence because the resurrection overcame the curse of sin and death and the law that he bore for us. That is the good news of the gospel. That, that's where we come to Christ and we say, it's, it's the victory is yours because you are, he, was, he know, is just not condemned. He has victory through resurrection and he gives us that victory. And he is the first fruit of the resurrection. And we follow, for, follow forth in that bearing fruit ourselves. So it, it is the resurrection that gives us all this great freedom. And, and that ultimately is where we come into this idea of why we do not have to maintain the law any longer. Because the law has been fulfilled because of the perfections of Christ. Now, now you, we, need, we need to hang on to that. 
Because what we're looking at is, if Sabbath is by law the sixth day of the week, I'm sorry, the seventh day of the week for, for Jews, and that's the day they're supposed to celebrate the, the, the Lord and come together and worship, if we're to uphold the law at every level, we would have to maintain that same type of pattern. It, it, it's actually, there's a, a, um, a technical term for that in theological realms. It's called Sabbath transference. It means everything that the Jews should have experienced should be transferred to us. And there's those that hold that Sabbath transference, but I don't think they're right because I think they're missing the interpretation of what Paul teaches us under the inspiration of the Spirit about the purpose of the law. The purpose of the law is not to lead us to salvation. The purpose of the law is to point out our shortcomings and inability and our need for Christ. And then when Christ has perfectly fulfilled it, we've been set free from the law. Does that make sense? So when we come in, we look at the Sabbath through that new lens of the new covenant in Christ, there's a new freedom. So Jesus is the one who provides that new lens because it's through his death, burial, and resurrection that the new lens is looked through at these things. So why all this talk of the law. I think I've covered this, but I want to make sure. Because if we don't understand how the law has been perfectly satisfied in Christ, then what we will, our tendency to do is to go back and, and disp- uh, like it's like to set Christ aside and go back and try to fulfill the law on our own. And, and that, folks, is not what the Lord desires or designed when Christ came and satisfied these things. So through the resurrection, there is a new manner, a new covenant by which we relate to the Lord. So here's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to take a break. Kathy, are you teaching the children this morning? I see you popping up. So all the kids in here this morning, you guys come and find a place up here on one of the the cushions. Miss Kathy's going to come and teach you. Oliver, I see you making your way. I see several others. Come on down. You guys listen very carefully to Miss Kathy. Kathy. Are we there? Thank you, Matt. I appreciate it. This is, I wish I didn't have to use this, but we do. Okay. My name's Miss Kathy. I'm so glad you're here. We've got all of our little friends. All right. For those of you in school, like your first grader above, see me after we finish here because I have something for you to do too. When our little ones go back, I've got something for you guys every Sunday through the end of July. 
All right? And I'm going to leave you out. All right. So last week, we talked about, does anybody remember? Is that guy, his name's got three syllables? Zacchaeus, that's right. And he had an encounter with Jesus. Nobody leaves the same when they encounter Jesus. Today, we've got a guy with four syllables in his name. His name is Bartimaeus. All right, can you say that? Bartimaeus. All right, I need you to do something for me. And grown-ups, you can do it too. I want you to close your eyes and put your hand over your eyes. Now, if I'm the only one doing this, you can all laugh, but then I'll know you're not doing it. Now, what happens when I do that? You can take your hand off your eyes. What happens? You can't see anything. It's very dark. Well, people that are blind have a degree of that, okay? That's what their life is like. So if you want to understand a little bit about our, our friend that we're going to meet today, whose name is Bartimaeus. Say it loud, Bartimaeus. Good job. Bartimaeus would come and he would sit along the roadside. Because do you think it was easy for Bartimaeus to have a job? Probably not. And people would give him money or, or help him out. But one day he went out and he thought this is going to be just like another day. But it wasn't. He's sitting there. It's all dark. And he hears a bunch of people. All right. He hears noise. Now, he can't see what's going on, but this, do this doesn't happen every day. And he asked somebody, what's going on? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth is coming this way. Bartimaeus must have heard about this Jesus before. Our scripture doesn't say. It says that when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Now, there was lots of people around, and he didn't have a microphone. So it would be like, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And everybody in here is talking. Would that be easy to hear? No, but you know what? The people around him said, be quiet, be quiet, you old blind beggar. You're Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus, you just be quiet. But he persisted, he didn't give up. And he continued to cry out. And what did Jesus do? Did he walk on by and that was the end of the story? Jesus stopped and said, call him. Now, there's lots of people around, but Jesus heard Bartimaeus. He saw Bartimaeus. He made that connection. And they called the blind man saying to him, take heart, get up, he's calling you. And Bartimaeus sprang up. That means he did it like that. 
And Jesus said to Bartimaeus, what, what do you want me to do for you? What would be some things that Jesus could do for Bartimaeus? Could he give him some money? Yeah. Could he give him some water? Yeah. Could he say, I really need a job. Like, do you have a job for a blind guy? Yeah. But what he said was, rabbi or teacher, let me recover my sight. And Jesus looked at Bartimaeus and he said, go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight. Bartimaeus's life was changed by meeting Jesus. He knew his need and he asked Bartimaeus to meet that need. And that same Jesus can do that for all of us any day that we call out to him and we ask him. All right, our memory verse is from way back in the Old Testament from the book of Jeremiah. I'm going to say it and then we'll repeat it together. And I bet Miss Gina's got some fun stuff for you to do with it back in your class. It says, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. So when we say that, when you seek me, can you look? Because we do have our sight. So will you seek me? Say it with me. Will you seek me? And find me when you seek me with all your heart. Jeremiah 29, 13. Did Bartimaeus seek Jesus with all his heart? Yeah, I did. All right. Have fun. Miss Gina is at the back. If you are preschool through kindergarten, you finished up kindergarten, walk, don't run. Follow <laughs> Oliver back to Miss Gina. I love uh, watching some of our children's leaders. The, the instructions, walk, don't run, came so easily to Kathy. It's like she knows what is, is about to happen. Um, Gina, thanks. Do you have everybody, Gina? Okay, she gave me the thumbs up. Um, let, me, let me just say something real quickly. Uh, I, I've, I think I've been in the building here since about 7.30, 7.45 this morning, um, it felt good when I walked in. Was it hot when y'all came in? No? Yes? Okay. Because it's like 76 in here right now, 77, which you're like, that feels good to you, Travis? Well, congratulations. Y'all come up under the lights and you'll feel a little different. Um, it's, it's warm. Yeah. And so the air conditions are just, they're, they're not just keeping up and getting things dropped. So everybody looks like they're wilting just a little bit. Hang in there, okay? It's not going to be a, a long portion of the message the rest of the morning. Um, I'm going to present three scriptures, and we're going to do that pretty quickly, okay? Um, so, so that we understand a little bit of, of what's going on with this concept of the, the moving of the day that worship occurs on, okay? Now, we've, we've looked at this very carefully the last couple of weeks about the importance of Christ's resurrection, and the transformation that occurs because of the resurrection. And that's ultimately what the, the, the church started to celebrate very, very early on. Um, 
And we see the, the, the struggle, though, that the church has been in because of the, the Judaizers, those who would push a legalism about the Sabbath being on the seventh day of the Jewish calendar, making sure that that, that Saturday worship was the, the key position. And, and so, but, but we also see, I hope, in just a quick look at what Paul says, it's not about the, the point of the law and us upholding law. We can't uphold the law. But it's about Christ and His perfect provision, especially through Him becoming the curse by taking on our sin and then freeing us from the curse of the law Himself because of His resurrection. Now, what happens as a result is the church, the young church, begins to worship on the day of the resurrection. And we see that at some points in the New Testament. We're going to look at that. If you're on Facebook, you're missing it. She is so cute. Uh, sorry, I, I'm easily distracted. So cute little girls wandering up front, that's, that's hard to resist just watching for a second. So here's, here's one of the, the things that I, I, I want to get a little technical about, but I don't think this will overwhelm you. There, there's a phrase that's used um, only one time in all of Scripture, okay? And, and the phrase itself is just one time. The, the other, there's a part of the, the phrase that's used in a couple other key places. And that, that phrase is kyriake emera, okay, which I know that doesn't mean anything to you, but it means this, okay, I'm going to help it mean something to you. It means the Lord's day, okay, kyriake or kyriakos, the way that word is formed only happens three times, actually two times in Scripture, one time with the two the phrases together where the Lord's day occurs together, okay? And so when, when something that, like, specific occurs, you have to kind of say, whoa, take note of that because it's so specific. And then especially who uses it and when it's used is very important. So take your Bibles and turn to John's book of the Revelation, okay? The Revelation of John. In chapter 1, verse 10, is where this phrase occurs the only time in Scripture. And this is really interesting because most likely, um, th this is uh, probably written right around 95, 96 AD, so right before the, the end of the first century, okay? And, and what's interesting or, or most interesting about this, this phrase occurs one time in all of Scripture what happens in the second century with the early church fathers that, that started writing extensively after all the apostles had passed away and they were responsible for continuing the work of the, the fledgling church uh, as it continued to grow and, and spread, they use this term extensively, okay? So, so this term, even though in Scripture it only occurs once, it became a very common term for the church, for the church leaders in its early uh, days, so here's what it's, we read in, in verse 10, Revelation 1.10. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. There's the phrase. And I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet. So what happens is because of the, that phrase being used one time and, and scholars trying to figure out what is the importance of this idea of the Lord's day, what, what is John meaning that he's in the Spirit on the Lord's day? When is the Lord's day? Well, ultimately, the second century church fathers, they all point to the Lord's Day being Sunday, 
which is the first day of the Jewish calendar. So evidently, at some point, John and others, I think Paul included, felt like they had the freedom to change the day of the public gathering of the church to distinguish the new church, the church of the new covenant in Christ from the Jewish gathering on the Sabbath. Now, it didn't just happen in the second century. It didn't happen just that late in A.D. 95 or 96 when John's writing this or the completion of this book is, is about to take place. It happens as early as A.D. 55. So what, what we see, and this will help us understand what that Lord day, Lord's Day means in terms of the Scripture itself, not just the pattern of the, uh, those following, is that we see it was practiced by people, by the church, in the New Testament as the first day of the week on Sunday. So turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 16. In verse 2. Actually, we'll read verse 1 too. So Paul, writing here in 1 Corinthians, this, now remember, this is a church that's had lots of problems. He's continued to correct them about things. Here he's giving them further instructions, but there's not necessarily correction. It's, it's just an amplified instruction to help them go on and move forward in their, their business. So it says in verse 16, verses 1 and 2, Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do. So it sounds like there's some consistency between the church at Corinth and the churches in Galatia, two different little uh, regions. Um, he says, on the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper so that there will be no collecting when I come. Now, now I know that doesn't speak necessarily to the practice of worship where there's teaching and maybe music or singing or, or whatever else, liturgies of any kind, but what it does uh, point out is that the early church was doing some kind of meeting on the first day of the week, and then together they would take up an offering, that, that it was a time that they were gathering, and this was a community time that made sense for them in their community to, on that first day of the week, to collect an offering for the work of the mission, of the spread of the gospel, so that people would hear the good news of Jesus Christ. Now, why would Paul give that specific instruction to both Galatia and the church at Corinth if they weren't already meeting then? I, I think it's an understood uh, un, uh, perspective or that, that, that Paul knew the church was in that pattern already, that the, the young church had already begun a transformation of their day of worship from the Sabbath, setting them apart from the Jewish worship to the uh, Monday or Sunday, the first day of the week, where we consider that uh, as the Lord's day, which aligns with what, as I've been mentioning already, the resurrection of Christ. So this new celebration of the resurrection has been taking on a shape in the young church. Now let's look at, and, and by the way, to make sure I, I'm, I'm clear on this, in uh, the, the letter to the church at Corinth Paul likely um, wrote in 55. So you think about that some 40 years earlier than what John the Revelator is, is recording. 
And so we see this little bit of a transition occurring, and it's probably become more common by the time that John has, has uh, started his writing. So now let's look at Acts chapter 20, verse 7. Acts chapter 20, verse 7. So here, Paul is in Macedonia, around Greece, a little bit different area than Corinth, not, not too far, but still a different area. This uh, church was probably being settled in this time, probably around the same time as the church in Corinth when he was on his missionary journey, that he is establishing these practices. And look at what it says in Acts 20, verse 7. Luke writes, on the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul talked with them, intending to depart on the next day, and he prolonged his speech until midnight. Now, let's keep reading, because this is a fun story anyhow, and we'll see how this pops up a couple times. There, are many lamp, there were many lamps in the upper room where we were gathered, and a young man named Eutychus, sitting at the window, sank into a deep sleep as Paul talked still longer. And being overcome by sleep, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. But Paul went down and bent over him and taking him in his arms said, Do not be alarmed, for his life is in him. And when Paul had gone up and had broken bread and eaten, he conversed with them a long while until daybreak and so departed. And they took the youth away alive and were not a little comforted. So it's interesting to me that there at that church in Macedonia, Paul again is meeting with the church at some point on the first day of the week. So this pattern had already begun to change as early as AD 55. Now, what, is, what does all this actually mean for us? Because I don't want to get us really overly technical in this, but, but it's this. What is the appropriate day for us to worship? If I'm asking that question, what is the appropriate day for us to worship and why? I, I would answer it this. It's the Lord's day. It's the Lord's day. And to be biblically sound, the Lord's day aligns with the first day of the Jewish calendar, which we consider to be Sunday. It's hard for me because what do we consider the first day of the week? Monday, right? But, but ultimately, if someone were to press in and say, no, you have to worship on the Sabbath, what would I, how would I respond? I would point them back to Galatians. I would point them back to other passages in Romans as well. We didn't cover those this morning. But I would, I would remind them that the law has been fulfilled by whom? Jesus Christ. And in His fulfillment of the law, the Sabbath, as we learned last week, is a sign of what? The covenant. And the covenant has been completed not by us fulfilling the Sabbath, but the, the covenant has been completed by whom? Jesus Christ, right? So we live in a new covenant. And all of those things in the Old Testament, all those signs, they pointed to Jesus being the fulfillment. And because Jesus is the fulfillment, and because he is the one who has perfectly fulfilled these things, and because the resurrection is the stamp of his victory of that fulfillment that we've seen again and again this morning, what we want to do is we look and say, there's no legal, uh, ritualistic reason for us to worship on the Jewish Sabbath. 
Our freedom comes through Christ, and there's a pattern in the New Testament that shows us that freedom to worship on what's considered the Lord's Day, the first day of the Jewish calendar, which aligns with our Sunday. And so the point of our worship then should be to what? Worship Jesus. Because ultimately, it's a relationship with Him. Now, if we add in what I read early in in the invocation time this morning about Romans 14, what, what did Paul teach in Romans 14 about the, the law and the freedom to, to worship. Did anybody catch that? You can go back there and, and look real quick. Romans 14. I can get there too. <clears throat> Specifically, if we were to look at verses 5 through 6 or 7, what, what would be the, the point of those key verses right there about the day of worship? Romans 14, 5 through 7. So let me read that loud just in case somebody's not tracking with us. One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, and since he gives thanks to God. While the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself and none of us dies to himself. And we can read verse 8. For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So then whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. So what is the point about the, the esteeming one day over another? What's Paul getting at? Yeah, good. So I'm going to try to summarize that real quick, Nancy, because the air condition is running and I want everybody here. So basically, you're, you said that it sounds like some people may have been arguing about what day they were going to worship on, but we need to identify that there's not a, a law about one day or the other. It's not about a Sabbath or anything else. We shouldn't judge. This is done unto the Lord. Is that pretty close to what you said? Okay. And that's, that's spot on, Okay. And so we see that as, as early as the letter in Romans, too, that, that Paul is indicating every day we ought to what? Set apart as a day to worship. So one of the things that I, I loved what Laurel said this morning, did, it, did that, like, uh, no pun intended here, echo with anybody else when, when she, or resonate with somebody else when she said, if we don't hear the, the first word of the Lord, we won't hear the echo? I, I like that. And, and she said that in terms of us doing the devotion, right? So, so that here's the point of why I'm trying to connect that, is we ought to be worshiping the Lord every day, right? That, that it's not just reserved for us to go, oh, I do my Christian duty on Sunday, or I do my Christian duty on a Sabbath, that my Sabbath rest is only about Sabbath. No, folks, 
Every day ought to be a day where we are reminded of the goodness of the Lord and our fellowship, what, what Laurel was saying about coming to Him in our quiet time, it, it begins, for, it enables us to hear his, his voice anew and then to hear the echoes throughout the day. If we just do that on a weekly basis, folks, it won't be enough. So our worship is really about us celebrating the goodness of the Lord. And we have freedom. We have freedom to do that any place we are, all the time, whatever's going on, we ought to just turn to the Lord. And it's a simple principle, but the tendency is to do what? The tendency for us as humans is always to drift into legalism. Why do we tend to drift into legalism? Because we like the instructions, because the instructions and those demands keep us on track. And I think there's some good things about that, keeping us on track, but I think there's dangerous things because we can often lose sight of what our heart is dealing with when we become legalistic. When we tend to become legalistic, we lose track of what's really going on inside of us. We just get focused on the outward experiences. And that's the danger because Sabbath is not about the outward experience. It's never been about the outward experience. Sabbath has always been about that relationship that we experience with the Lord, that we would come into fellowship with Him and experience the joy of of who we are according to the making of our Creator. As He made us in His image, as He uh, created us for fellowship with Him, the Sabbath is to enjoy Him above all things. And I think that's why Paul comes back and says, one day is as another. What you eat is not as important. It's how you live in relationship to your Savior. Because that's why he sets it in the context of verse 4. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls. See, we do this in a right conscience with our Lord. That's the ultimate goal. A right conscience with the Lord is not about legalism. It's about the relationship. So, I want to ask you... I hope, a pointed question this morning that will help us just to to settle in and respond on these truths. How are you doing in your fellowship with the Lord? How are you doing in fellowship with community? I I was talking to my dad this weekend. We had the opportunity to go down to our lake house. And as my dad and I were talking, I shared with him one of, I think, the biggest frustration, and I, I told him, I've said this from the pulpit over and over again. I don't, we, we started talking about all this stuff with COVID and re-engagement business for him and my brother and, and how things have changed. And in this, one of the things I said is, I, I've gone back and said over and over, I feel like this has been a season of spiritual warfare that, that we've, like none we've ever experienced before because the enemy has used a season of quarantine to isolate people. And we're trying to be right to the government. I think there was a season we should have been right to honor our leadership and the government in in staying separated and distant and those kind of things. But I think also the enemy used some of those right purposes and there became a legalism about social distancing and those things. And, And we started to lose continuity of fellowship which, if we lose continuity as the body, folks, we also lose continuity individually with the Lord. You might say, no, 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 I can, I can still maintain that. I, I would say, no, that's not the way we're designed. 
We're designed to be in the body because the body is the, the building of the church. I cannot be all things to all people, even though I can try to be. But the truth is, I don't have the gifting to be all things to all people. We need the body to operate together so that we experience a healthy community and connection within the body so that Christ is ultimately honored more effectively because our worship impacts one another. Our service impacts one another in our relationship with the Lord. And, and just to give you a quick little snippet of that, as, and I mentioned already, but as Laurel shared her testimony, I'm blessed because experiencing community in new ways blesses us. And, and that's what we've got to, to grow back into. And, and here's part of the, the struggle I think we're experiencing. We can look around today and go, man, we're missing people. Steve sat down with me this week and asked me, who's not like come back on campus since, since things have changed? And I started listing off just the top of my head about seven to ten families that we just haven't seen back yet. And, and it, I, I just, you know, it's, it's like what, we don't know and understand everything that's going on. But ultimately, guess what it does? It impacts our worship. It impacts our fellowship with one another and it, with the Lord because there's an anemic aspect to who we are when we're not gathered in worship. And Steve has said this over and over. He said, I think that people are going to be going in a lot of directions this summer because we've been so confined that now the, where there's more freedom and people are going to be experiencing the freedom in a cultural setting and they're not going to be engaged in church in the same way. And I think we're already seeing that. And so, so my point is, is this. We've got to be people that are extending into one another's lives, not just waiting on church on Sunday mornings to do it either. We, we've got to be reaching out in community on an ongoing basis, encouraging one another, have, making sure that our grow groups are, are thriving. If you're not in a grow group, there, you need to be in a grow group. We have several that have plenty of room and availability. There, there's, there's a need for you to be plugged into those grow groups so that your fellowship is thriving. Because if we don't do those things, we won't experience the greatest joy that we have in relationship with the Lord. Because He's designed us to be in community together. Now, how does all that work? It, it works by this, us coming together and enjoying the, the original intention of Sabbath rest, celebrating the goodness and the glory of Christ. So, so we've got to be re-engaging with one another in these ways, folks. And it's a simple, simple truth. But, but we've got to make the changes to begin to really see that transforming our church body again. So we're, we're longing for that. I think you're longing for that. And, and I want to encourage you, reach out to those folks that you're missing. Make sure to touch base with them and let them know that they're vital to the church body, to the church life, and that we will be impacted positively by them coming back and sharing the good things that Christ is doing in their lives. Now, with that, I want us to, to stop and pause for a moment, and I want to encourage you with this. Will you, will you this week be in prayer for a couple things? Will you be in prayer for those who have not been here, that, that are struggling because of circumstances or other things in their lives. There's people that have um, asked for prayer. Katie, have you heard an update from Beverly this week, later in the week? Okay, so pray for Beverly. Uh, Beverly's ministering to her daughter-in-law and son. 
um, their newborn, uh, but it's been a very, um, I would just say, kind of tough two weeks for her. Uh, she's been up there. I think it's just been two weeks, maybe it's approaching two and a half now. But, but she's asked for prayer, so continue to pray for Beverly Grafeo. Um, we also know that, uh, again, there's a lot of people traveling. We want to pray for uh, those folks that are out. We want to pray for folks that are going to Coldstream Christian Camp and all the counselors that are going to be coming in the next couple weeks. Um, and then I want us to do this. I want us to pray about our own commitment to reaching out to those who are in need of fellowship with us. That may be fellowship uh, that, that they're not present. It may be somebody else that you know that's been attending off and on. Uh, they've not joined the church yet, but they, they've been visiting our church for some time. We want to make sure that we're connecting with them. So pray for those folks. So I'm going to be pr- quiet for just a minute, let you guys spend a minute in prayer, and then I'm going to close this in prayer. And then, Laurel, you got a song ready to do worship? Okay, great. Heavenly Father, this morning we, we come and we, th- we say thank you. We say thank you for the joy that is ours because of Christ. Lord, the, the joy that you have uh, enabled us to experience is not anything of our own making. And, and Lord, that is antithetical to the way the world looks at joy and fleeting happiness. Lord, the world expresses that that is available to us through work, through play, through a whole uh, litany of avenues, finances and uh, portfolios and all sorts of things. But, But the truth is all of those things are passing. And none of those necessarily have to do with you. But Lord, the joy that we have in Christ as a result of His satisfying work on the cross and the victory that He secured through the resurrection, Lord, that joy is eternal. That is, that is the, the, the hope of our faith. It, it is secure in what Christ alone has accomplished. And so, Lord, we, we know and we confess that our tendency is to be legalistic. It's to, to look at the means that you've provided us, good things oftentimes, because, Lord, your word teaches us to steward our finances. That's a good thing. But we can misplace that stewardship. Lord, your, your word tells us that we are to work, but, but we can misplace the, the priorities of that. And, Lord, we know that through Christ, the law has been fulfilled, and, and through faith in Him, Lord, there's great satisfaction that we ultimately get to rest from all of our inadequate efforts. So, Lord, my prayer today is that, first of all, if there's anyone who doesn't know Christ as their Savior, 
that they would recognize that He is, the, is truly the Savior, the Messiah, the one who has redeemed us from the, the curse of sin and the curse of the law, and how the law points out our sin. It's, it's a good thing. It's a good tutor in that way. But it leaves us lacking that Christ is all-sufficient. He is the one who shed His blood to forgive us and to cleanse us from our sins. And so, Lord, if there's anyone here that for whatever reason has been on the fence about knowing Christ as their Savior, I pray today that they would surrender to His Lordship because it's a sweet surrender. And, Lord, life is found in Him, and that life in Him is abundant. And, Lord, ultimately, as the, the believers in this room and under maybe on Facebook know, Lord, life in Christ is about tasting His rest that He's provided for us. Lord, the, the rest is, uh, it is uh, for now, for this moment. It's not just the future promise. Even though there's going to be a future rest that is sure for us, we taste that rest now, and it points to the perfect rest that we receive in heaven. And Lord, before knowing Christ, there was no rest. So Lord, we say thank you. That's, that's the joy that, that we give thanks for this morning. It is the, the moment of rest that we have in Christ here. Lord, this morning we, we do come before you and we want to lift up these requests that I've mentioned. I do pray, continue to pray for Beverly, for her strength, for her uh, step, I mean, her daughter-in-law's health, for her ministry to their, her, her family. Lord, I pray that you would sustain her. And beyond sustaining her, Lord, that you would uphold her with your righteous right hand and that you would give her fruit for her labor. Lord, that these days would be sweet and th that they would reap eternal rewards in her family's life. Father, I, I pray for Coldstream Christian Camp and all the counselors, leaders, teachers that will be there. Lord, I, I pray for their preparation, uh, that you be preparing them through the power and work of your spirit for the spiritual emphases that will be uh, happening these weeks of camp. Lord, I pray for the, the campers themselves. Lord, we know that there will be some that don't know you. We know that they will hear the gospel. We pray that you would transform, that you transform them, that you would uh, call them to salvation. For those that already know you, Lord, let this be a, a, a season in their lives where the work of the Spirit is sweetened in them so that they go forward with new boldness, with new, new courage, with a new level of, of uh, surrender to you that, that um, will empower them for the work of the gospel, whether that be in their schools, their uh, place of extracurricular activities, or maybe even in their families. Lord, we know that you want to do a, a great work through that, that ministry at Coldstream Christian Camp. Lord, I also am just reminded of um, others that maybe at some other camps, um, like Center Kid, we've got friends there. Uh, Rebecca is going to be leading worship at one of the camps. Lord, the, the same things apply as they're ministering to those, those families and those children especially Lord, I pray that you would do good work in, in their lives. And Father, as we continue to, to um, look at the, the health of what it means for us to practice a Sabbath rest this summer, I pray, Lord, that, that our hearts would endure with you so that, that we find our rest in you. 
So, Father, this morning, I thank you again for Laurel being here, for Greg, assisting her on drums. Lord, I pray that as we uh, just conclude our service with this song, that you would be blessed as our voices are lifted up to you and our hearts, more importantly, worship you. In Jesus' name, amen.